Hello and welcome to my podcast, Up Your Total Glow, your podcast for your body, mind and soul to support, guide and empower you to uncover the most glowing, healthiest and feel-good version of you. I am super excited that you're here because if you ask me, there's nothing that looks and feels better. In today's episode, I'm speaking with the amazing and brilliant Dr. Christian Heim, who is an award-winning psychiatrist and music professor. Dr. Christian Heim breaks down all this mental health stuff in real terms and he does so by using a lot of humor and a lot of heart because he has a huge heart for people's mental health and it is his mission to prevent mental health breakdowns and truly this world needs it more now than ever we are also speaking about why is it that mental illness rates are rising at the moment and what can we do about it and what brain chemicals make us happy and how do we get the right dose of them but there is so much more in this interview because dr christian heim is just full of knowledge and wisdom and i know you will absolutely love this interview and get so much out of it so without further ado please enjoy here he is the amazing dr christian heim hello and welcome dr christian heim i'm so excited to have you here today how are you I'm very well, thank you, Ruth. It is wonderful to be here. It's so nice to feel that you are in uh, in Europe, uh, all the way around the world. I am in Sydney, Australia, mm. and that through the wonderful technology that we have, we're able to be able to do something like this. It's really quite amazing. I totally agree, yes. And we have to remind us that we do that quite regularly now and that it's not that normal. Only a few years ago, it wasn't normal. So thank you for pointing that out. Would you like it's, to give a brief introduction about yourself, who you are, what you do, and maybe also what your mission is? My mission. All right. That's a very good question, Ruth, because I do think we're all on a mission. We all feel that we have a a purpose for living and it's not just to enjoy ourselves. It's something more for each of us. And the lovely thing about what I do as a psychiatrist is I, I get to hear the stories, the life stories of, of thousands of people. Mm. And what I love about my work is that everybody is different. Mm. And yet everybody is the same. Everybody mm. gets to have some joy. Everybody gets down about things. Everybody has problems. Everybody has solutions and victories. And our life experience, although they're all completely different, are also remarkably similar as well. Mm. And that's absolutely wonderful. Okay, so, so at the moment, people know that I'm a psychiatrist and I'm Australian, all right? But there are a <laughs> few more things about me, you know. Uh, so uh, one of the reasons that I ended up becoming a doctor and doing a medicine was because I suppose it's, I've always had this passion to help people mm -hmm. and to get to know people. But the thing is that I didn't get into medicine when I got out of school. So I went to my second love, which was music, classical music. So I've had a career in classical music wow. before I got into medicine. Wow. And at first I was disappointed about that, but now I'm not because Gosh, Ruth, if, if I had to study medicine when I was 18 years old, I don't think I would have gotten through it mm. because I was a, a hot-headed, passionate, passionate young man, okay, mm. that was very idealistic. And you get a few lessons when you learn medicine, okay? Mm. You get to learn about the wonderful human body and its workings, mm. uh, but you also get to know that our knowledge is a lot more limited than we would like it to be. Mm. Yeah. And you also get to know that the medical industry, as wonderful as it is, has a lot of failings, right? Yeah. But I've got to say that in the last couple of decades, we've been looking at those. And although we're still not on top of them, mm. um, it's, it's a wonderful place to be, but we've got to keep trying. All right. So, so I'm in psychiatry mainly because I thought I would be a surgeon. 
And when I got to assist at my first surgery, which was heart surgery, right, mm -hmm. which took hours and I thought was absolutely fascinating. I was just really bored, Ruth, okay, because, <laughs> because one, one heart looks the same as another heart mm -hmm. and you just talk about valves and ventricles and ejection fractions and things like that. And I knew then and then I had to know about different people. And the wonderful thing about psychiatry is I have never seen two people with depression that are the same. I have never seen two people with schizophrenia that are the same. I have never seen anorexia, which is the same in two people. Mm. And the other thing is that because psychiatry is hundreds of years behind the rest of medicine, uh, we don't have proper tests yet. And there is a big disadvantage to that, I know. But the advantage is my tool is actually to talk to people and get to know them. Mm. And so that means I get to spend a lot of time just talking to people. And although there's a lot of uncertainty there, there's a lot of warmth when you get to know somebody, even after just talking and listening for an hour. And that is a real privilege. And maybe that's why I do psychiatry, Ruth. Wow, what an amazing introduction. I love how you stayed really true to your callings. And even though while you were doing your music, your professor in music, that yes. didn't feel quite as um, for a while as fulfilling or you didn't feel as proud of, of yourself as you thought you would have if you maybe had done something else. I love how you, or maybe I misunderstood that as well. No, 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 you're totally right. But I just wanted to add to that because yeah. I actually feel that I learned most of my psychiatry mm -hmm. by, doing, by doing music, mm -hmm. right? Because when you write music, which is what I did, I conducted orchestras and wrote music, uh, you actually get notes and you rearrange them to find something creative and something beautiful. Mm. And often when I'm working with a person, there are, there are all these beautiful potentials and I get the privilege of being able to work with those potentials and weave them, weave them together into something that's harmonic mm. and even resolve some dissonance in, their, in your mm. life. So I'm using musical terms to show how, how easily these things fit in. Mm, I love that. I think that's so beautiful. And I can relate so much with, with my profession yes. in what you say. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and I just love how you stayed true to yourself. And through that really found your calling and made it so powerful as it is now. I think this is something we can all learn from because we all know at times we feel like, oh, I rather should have done or mm, yes. maybe yes. I'm not good enough. And no, yes, we are. This is our journey. Yes. And there is yes. so much amazement in if we let it evolve. So I yes. think that's very powerful and absolutely beautiful. Yes. And, and you know that that's true as well, that if you remain true to yourself, so you've got to know yourself mm. and then remain true to yourself, then somehow you can trust life to move you into the direction of where you are the most useful to other people. Mm, yeah, this trust in life. Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we could it's just hard, always have that all the time, yeah, especially no, in those here. last two years. <laughs> right. We were quite challenged in our trust, or at least I was. Um, yeah. No, but you're very right. And I think it's a very, again, empowering way to look at it and a very, it gives hope, doesn't it? So I yes. would really love to dive a little bit more into the brain. So yes. what does actually happen in a brain of someone who, yeah, doesn't feel mentally healthy, if, if you can yes. say it like that? Yes. Okay. So, so let's take something more specific like depression. Okay. Yeah. What happens, what happens in, the brain of, uh, in the brain of somebody who gets depressed? Yeah. Okay. Now, the bottom line answer to that is, We don't know. All right. Yeah. So, so I just have to be upfront about that. Yeah. And depression is one of those things that uh, as a psychiatrist, you have a certain relationship with because you start off treating depression thinking, okay, well, this is the mental illness that I understand the most, right? Because yeah. I've been depressed. I've been down. I yeah. know what depression feels like because yeah. you always use yourself as a reference point. Yeah. But then you go, 
okay, but I might be down for a couple of hours at the most, a couple of days, and I can pull myself back up again. Yeah. But this person in front of me can't, mm. and I don't understand that. Mm. And then you go, oh, okay, I know what happens in the brain. Because what happens is that the chemical serotonin is lower mm -hmm. uh, in this person than it is in somebody like me. Mm. And then you start asking, why is it lower? Why does it stay low? And here's the most important question. This is why we actually don't know. Because we don't know how a chemical like serotonin translates into that feeling of being happy. Mm. I mean, one is a chemical. Mm. Right. And, and the chemical uh, imbalance in the brain actually happens. Right. But the other one is a feeling. Yeah. And that feeling is something that we experience in our mind. Mm. So we're, we're getting to this problem, what's called the mind brain problem. Yeah. OK. Does the mind belong just in the brain uh, or where is the mind? Mm. OK, so I already I use one study that came out of California. This was done about 15, 20 years ago, where they did this amazing study that when they give heart and lung transplants, because people who need a new heart, uh, what they do is they do a transplant of the heart and the lung together mm -hmm. because it's less complicated mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. but, but that's a big chunk of somebody else's body going mm -hmm. into your body if you get that. You know, right? A couple of lungs and a heart and all the blood vessels. That's a lot of somebody else's body. Mm -hmm. And they did this study to show that those people who received somebody else's heart and lungs started to take on the personality of the person mm -hmm. from whom the heart and lungs came from. Mm -hmm. And this is somebody that they didn't know. Mm -hmm. And this is totally amazing because what it shows is that personality probably is impregnated in all of our cells. So in other words, it's contained wow. in all of our DNA, not just the brain. Wow. Okay? Yeah. So, so that actually means to me, and this is how I interpret the study, that our mind is not just the product of brain function. Now we know that the brain has got the most to do with the mind, yeah. but if heart and lungs can affect somebody's personality, that means somebody's mind is also in the heart and lungs. And that's amazing. Wow. wow, what a powerful distinction. Yes. Wow. Yes. And and I I can relate to that now that you say it. I do I do feel that this is very true. And there is our mind is yeah, also somewhere in the cells, you know, because obviously yes. I'm not working so much with the brain as such, but more with the whole individual. And yet there's yes. a lot of <laughs> mind going on there. So thank yes. you. That's that's absolutely mind-blowing and really, really good to know for us as well. I think if we can see it like this and understand ourselves better because I feel yeah the, the better we understand ourselves the better the we can then react to that and maybe yes. get the right help so that's how yes. I feel about it yeah yes no that's right and, and now we can go to something that you've probably known in your field for decades and that is that food makes a difference to somebody's mood okay yes. food can influence somebody's depression okay now This is very new in psychiatry, all mm. right, uh, because now we have evidence. Now we know that mm. food can alter the microbiome in mm. your gut. And we now know that the microbiome has a huge influence in what goes on in the brain. Totally. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But this is new information. This is this has come up only in the last 10 years, whereas before that, uh, this was said, oh, that, that's ridiculous to think that food can uh, can change something like depression. Now, the, the thing is, obviously, if, if I have somebody with depression and they are going through a deep depression, uh, giving them good food is not going to get them out of their depression mm. because the medications that I can use are much more powerful. Mm. However, when you're working with somebody whose mood is just chronically a bit low mm. or they know that they're at risk of depression, then You know, I would say, you know what, if you took care of your diet, if you took care of your gut microbiome, right, yeah. you may be able to bring down your chances of having a depressive episode and having to see somebody like me. And that's actually a very good thing, <laughs> not having to see somebody like me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so all of this, all of this came up from the question, what happens in somebody's brain? Mm. And uh, I started talking about one brain chemical. 
serotonin, mm -hmm. okay? And uh, there are other brain chemicals up there. So dopamine can alter our whole um, experience of reality and mm -hmm. pleasure. Uh, mm -hmm. Oxytocin can change what we were talking about before, trust in the world or love of somebody who is close to you. Mm -hmm. And beta endorphins uh, are chemicals which can uh, alter your, um, uh, your pain levels. Mm -hmm. But it also makes you feel that you are together with the people around you. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a social element to all of these brain chemicals, as well as a neurocircuitry element to all of these brain chemicals. Mm, wow. So if we know what increases the brain chemicals, we know what we can do to keep ourselves mentally healthier. Mm, wow, so powerful. I feel almost this should be really taught at school. <laughs> I mean, oh, at, yeah. a very, at, a, at a different level, but I do feel this is so important knowledge for all of us, especially since, yeah, mental illness, unfortunately, is really on the rise, or at least I feel it is certainly yes. in the last two years where we all were more and more isolated. I would love yes. for you to also say something about this first, why this is so, and if you also feel that in the last two years, it exploded even more, or maybe I just got those clients, I don't know. Um, but I would also like to hear as a, as a third question. So what, what, how does it happen that these brain chemicals um, get confused or are in different um, forms yes. than another brain? So is that probably different reasons, but Is there often a trauma, a head trauma, yes. or yes. Um, maybe a, a heart trauma? I don't know, mental yes. trauma. Yes. So yes. what is happening so that these um, hormones, these chemicals are confused? Yeah. Okay. So, so Ruth, I'll go back to the COVID question last yeah. Yeah. because that, that can take us somewhere very interesting as well. Okay. Uh, but, but it's also very relevant to what we're going to talk about. But I'm going to go back using depression as an example, yeah. and I'll, I'll start off with a question about uh, what happens to these brain chemicals that they get confused, Yeah. right? Yeah. Now, again, I'm going to have to remind everybody that we know of maybe a few hundred brain chemicals up there, uh, a few dozen very well, okay? And there are probably tens of thousands of brain chemicals up there. Mm. So our knowledge is actually very, very mm. small, right? Yeah. But we like to talk about what we know, and at least yeah. we've got something yeah. to go on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to talk about two chemicals. I'm going to talk about uh, serotonin, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to talk about noradrenaline because mm -hmm. uh, we, we have evidence for both of these in depression. Mm -hmm. And the first one is serotonin, which we like to think of as a happy chemical or a anti-anxiety chemical. But I like to think of it as the chemical that you feel when you feel at home. Mm. Right. So imagine you've come home, you've had a hard day of wherever it is that you um, uh, work and you shut the door mm. and you go, ah, mm. I'm going to take my shoes off. I'm going to take my coat off and I'm just going to flop on the sofa mm. and you flop down on the sofa and you don't care what you look like for the first time in eight hours. You don't care what you look mm. like because you have to look okay for the rest of the world, you know, yeah. and you just enjoy being in your place with the furniture that you have decided on, that you have decorated with your um, plants and your dog comes up to you wanting that pat and you pat this dog and you're feeling at home, right? Mm, yeah. And then you see the person that you love come out and say, oh, that's sort of a day, was it? And you go, oh, finally somebody that I don't have to pretend with, I can just be myself. That feeling, that wonderful feeling, I believe encapsulates what, serotonin does for us wow. okay mm. and at that time it's not only relaxed but you kind of feel at home in the world and you even feel a little bit powerful you sort of feel ha ah, i am being me at this moment what okay. a beautiful explanation of serotonin i've never heard it in that way and this makes so much sense to me that's so yeah. beautiful and powerful thank you for that amazing no 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 no, no. okay <laughs> thank no you i mean that, that because Ruth. yeah 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 I, i've studied about these brain chemicals and when you say it like this it makes so much sense 
So yes. yeah, that's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because uh, when people hear, oh, it's a serotonin problem, what can I do to bring up my serotonin, mm. all right? Mm. And so people will learn that amphetamines, you know, and MDMA mm. and all these drugs will release a lot of serotonin, which they do, but that doesn't mean that it gets you out of depression and makes mm. you feel better. But if you can have more of that feeling in your life, mm. then you start asking different questions. Should I get a dog? Have I decorated my place the way that I want to? Mm. Am it's I in love? Power. This gives you it, your yeah, power that's right. back. Mm. That's right. It gives you it mm. gives you power back. You know, mm. is there somebody in my life that I'm feeling out of sorts with? All right. And so all of these things start to become more important. Okay. Mm. Because your original question was, why does this chemical get out of kilter? All right. Yeah. yeah. Now serotonin levels in all of us are going up and down and changing all day long. Yeah. All right. And as a general rule, when something happens to make you feel good, your serotonin levels are going up. Mm. When something is a challenge or you're feeling just a bit out of sorts, your serotonin levels go down. Mm. Okay. Now, I'm already talking a lot about people, because if you end up working in an environment where you feel that people just don't like you, they don't understand you, they do not accept you, right? Mm -hmm. Your mood starts going down. Mm -hmm. Now, if this happens every day for a week, that's bad enough. But if it happens for months or years mm -hmm. and you start asking yourself those questions, what am I actually alive for? Mm. I am just not fulfilling my potential and I'm, I don't feel that I fit in with the people around me. I'm not at home with them. Mm. And this is when people start to become depressed. Mm. Okay. Now mm. I'm not saying this is the cause of depression for mm. everybody because there are biological things that go on in the brain that can cause depression, mm. but there are a lot more psychological and social things that happen mm. in the brain. So we've done, a lot of research into the genetics of mental illness. Mm -hmm. And whereas in, let's say, obesity and in diabetes, uh, decades of research has have uncovered hundreds of genes. Mm -hmm. The same amount of research in mental illness has only uncovered one. And that was found by accident by a drug company. Wow. So, mm. so, so there's something else going on. Mm. And I do not want to say that uh, mental illness is not biological mm. because as a psychiatrist, my experience tells me that there are some families where, you know what, depression runs in this family, whatever yeah. that means. Yeah. And I do know that an antidepressant works better on those people than for people who who don't have that going okay, okay. Mm -hmm. uh but 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 uh, as you can tell i'm already being a bit hedgy i don't come up with rules because yeah. i need to get to know each and every yeah. person yeah okay? and i can relate to that absolutely yeah. yeah yeah that's that and that's good and that's and that's what's wonderful about specialized care yeah. people come to you because you know them and you have time to get to know them yeah. and you can listen to them and you build a rapport with them so mm -hmm. that when you say, ah, I know the thing for you, okay, there's already more trust built up mm -hmm. there. There's that feeling that Ruth is taking care of me, mm -hmm. right? And that is a very important feeling mm -hmm. for all of us humans. Yeah. We all crave that feeling. That's where healing we starts, I believe. That's, that's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. And one of the most influential books I've read is a book in, from 1996, sorry, 1966. Um, and it's by Jerome Franks. And it's, uh, it's, it's basically uh, called Healing. Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and it talks about not only psychiatrists, but religious healers, faith healers, Beautiful. all different sorts of healers. What do mm. they have in common? And so he looked at all of these things that they have in common. And one of the main things is building rapport and mm. empathy. Mm, totally. Yeah. Mm, totally yeah. believe that. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely um, amazing. I love how you, yeah, how you really look at every person individually and then really allow them to build that report and allow them to start healing with trust. I think that is absolutely the foundation of everything. Thank you yes. so much. And I just want to quickly say before I let you answer the second part of the question that I think it is very impo important to also notice that, yes, you know, 
often with the conditions that people come to you like depression anxiety schizophrenia anorexia yeah. i don't know that it is very important for them to have quick and um, powerful help in the form yes. of medication because i do yes. feel sometimes there's still a lot of stigma around your profession in the sense oh you just give medication and which obviously that's yeah. not, not at all what you do because you've explained no. so much what, what you do but i think it's also you know important to know that this is very helpful for so many people and a yes. good starting point and also probably yeah it can really change something quickly and in a more powerful way where we maybe wouldn't have the time to do so just through nutrition and life changes. And, yes. you know, I'm a huge fan of nutrition and life changes, obviously, totally believe in that. But I also just want to really point out that I think it is important to make sure that we combine both if both is necessary, because this is where, yeah, where the most powerful healing then can happen. And again, this comes down also to this individualized care where we really look you know what is going on what does this person yes. need and how can we empower the most I just wanted to um put that in because I do think there are two sides of the coin like there's one side who is completely against medication and then there's one side um who is totally pro and I yes. think we can we can really get the best of two worlds if we combine and talk to each other and yeah yes. do what's best yes. for the person mm. yes yes totally agree ruth uh in, in fact um uh, when people hear about some of the things that i talk about and listening to people mm. um they think that i'm anti-medication all right and and of course that, that's not true i, yeah, I use a lot of medication because yeah. that's that's my main tool yeah but it's not my only tool yeah in fact Ruth, let's say that you decided that you'd um, moved to Sydney and you're starting a practice here in Sydney. Okay, you're going to give Brisbane a miss this time. <laughs> then all of a sudden, you would become a tool in, in my toolbox. Okay, mm -hmm. because if I found somebody who could benefit by going to see you, mm -hmm. and there'd be a number of scenarios in which that would happen. Firstly, if, if somebody didn't need medication, right, and I felt that they could benefit by what you do, mm -hmm. then I would refer them to you. Yeah. Now, in reality, and by the I time do the somebody... same. That's exactly, yeah. you know, when I know someone who can just better help them more powerful in that sense, I refer as well. Absolutely. You are so right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, on the other hand, by the time somebody gets to see me, uh, another doctor has already trialed two antidepressants on them and mm. they both haven't worked. So the, the, the chances are if, if somebody has been referred to see me, they need to see me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But then let's say I'm uh, working with somebody who has been suffering from schizophrenia for a long time. Yeah. Okay. And I have them stable on medications. Yeah. Uh, they, the acute phase is over. Yeah. And then I say, look, look, would you like to go see, see somebody like Ruth who can look at the dietary things that can aid in schizophrenia? Yeah. Because we have evidence now that a good diet can actually help equalize the chemicals in your brain, that they do actually make a difference. Yeah. And then I would send them to you and you would, you would look further than just the diet, but you would look at more things about their whole lifestyle yeah. as to what they can do to manage their illness. So we're on the same, same side, Ruth. We totally. all want better yeah. mental health for anybody. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's really, really important for everyone to hear. And I think we have to stop fighting against each other. You know, it's just, it doesn't make sense. We all want the same thing. We all want to be loved. We all want to be healthy. We yes. want to spread yes. love. We want peace. So um, we can only achieve this if we always hold hands and yeah, do the best. I, I, I mean, yeah, I really believe that. Mm. Yeah, no, no. And, and, and you're right. That, that is what, what's happening. Okay. So I'm going to bring it now. By the way, as far as hearing is concerned, can you hear the fireworks in the background? Yes, I can. Yes. I was wondering <laughs> if that's a cable or something. Wow, what fireworks. 
I, 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 okay, so Sydney is just starting uh, a light festival. Uh, okay. It's an artistic festival of light called Vivid. Beautiful. And I think that's starting tonight. So that's why we've got fireworks just outside. Oh, that's exciting. Board. Fireworks in the <laughs> podcast. I love it. It's meant to be. <laughs> all right. Okay. And so, all right. So uh, uh, Sydney likes to celebrate big, particularly during COVID times, right? Mm. And that is, of course, to lift everybody's spirits, to lift yeah. everybody's moods. Mm. So, so I'm going to go to COVID and talk about um, uh, depression and anxiety during COVID. Because uh, what we have found out is, of course, uh, depression and anxiety rates rose markedly in mm. 2020. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, an illness like schizophrenia did not rise. Okay. Mm. Because, and that shows us that in schizophrenia, uh, there's probably something more biological going on that we haven't discovered yet, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Whereas things like anxiety and depression, there is a big component as to how we react in what's going on in the world around us, mm -hmm. okay? So the reason that I say that is because the increase in depression and anxiety, which has been happening for the last 30 years, there's just been an, a, 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 a terrible rise in these illnesses, okay? have nothing to do with our genetic makeup, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. our, our genetic makeup has not changed terribly much for about 60,000 years now, okay? Mm -hmm. And even though we may have picked up some variations in the last 10,000 years, they didn't all come out at the end of the 20th century and into the start of the 21st century. Mm -hmm. So when you look at that, you go, okay, what's going on? There's something in the way that we're living that is harming each and every one of us. Yeah. And unfortunately, I've been to conferences uh, where we see there is a change in 2007, a change in the depression and anxiety of children and adolescents mm. in 2007. Mm. Now, unfortunately, 2007 was the year that the iPhone came out, the smartphones, right? The handies, where yeah. we could take all of our entertainment and news and communication mm. and carry it with us wherever we go, mm. right? And since that time, if you go onto a train or to a bus, you will see all these heads mm -hmm. in the screens, mm. okay? Um, I, I have to say, Ruth, I've, I've put together a video about all of this so okay. that people can see. It's about 15 minutes so that people can see what's actually happening. Okay. But, but, the, but the bottom line is, just as I told you, when you get home and you see somebody that you love and you can start to just be yourself, well, when you've got your face in an iPhone, you can't see anybody. Yeah. In fact, the brain actually focuses on it more. So it will not let you hear or see anybody around you, which means that we are starting to cut off our people contact. Mm. And that in itself already starts bringing down our serotonin levels. Mm. And we don't spend as much time with the people that we should. We're not in strong relationship with them. We're having meals with less people because we're actually having lunch and, and uh, watching something on a handy, on a, a smartphone, right? Rather than talking to somebody. Mm, wow. You know what, talking to people, it's difficult, but it feels good when you make a connection. Yeah, absolutely. So we're starting to lose that. And we're starting to see that in depression and anxiety rates in children and adolescents since mm. 2007. Yeah. Wow. That makes so much sense. And I've got two young girls um, in, yes. in, who are adolescents. So I find this is the hardest challenge. So for one daughter, it's fairly easy. She is not so hooked to the phone yeah. for some reason. That's just her personality, I believe. She just yeah. likes different things more. But with the other, it's such a challenge to yes, it is. not have it is. her totally glued on. And I can also see such a change in her personality when she is allowed to have the phone or when the phone is taken away of her for two or three days again because there was something that didn't quite work. So <laughs> I, would, I would love for her not to have the phone at all because she's just such a different person. So I find it yes. quite a struggle and I can see the difference so much in behavior and how it yes. influences Um. But also to come back to COVID, I also feel that especially this age group where my daughters yes. unfortunately are in, so one is 14, one is 16, um, yep. were 
yeah, had it the hardest somehow yes. because they yes. are developing and they were cut off from the world and there was so much fear and I don't know, just all of it that was going on. I think yes. that, that yes. yeah, I think it was very harmful for them. I'm very yes. concerned for the youth at the moment. Yes, yes. In fact, uh, they would have been 12 and 14 when COVID started. Absolutely. Okay, which is actually a very difficult age. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not just a difficult age because of puberty, which is what everybody thinks, but it's a difficult age because that's when the brain, uh, the brain waves mm -hmm. change from being child mode into adult mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, before the age of 11, actually, uh, we, we have different brain waves. We are more in alpha brain waves, which are yeah. slower brain waves, yeah. which means that we can learn faster. It yeah. means that everything around us influences us and gets straight in, which is why you may know some people who know five languages, even though yeah. they're only six years old and they yeah. have no problems with that. Yeah. Whereas if, if you're 18 or 20, you try to, uh, learning a new language and you know how difficult it is and then you forget it so quickly. And you'll and always have the accent. That's right, you'll always have the accent. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have the accent, Ruth. That's not a problem. <laughs> but but the, th the thing is that what the adult brain waves do is it makes us critical. Mm. And that's good because when you're an adult, you don't want to believe everything that everybody tells you. Mm. You want to go, oh, is this actually right for me? And we actually make a judgment if we let it in or not. Mm. Now, the trouble is that advertisers and marketers on screens and cell phones, they have techniques to make us accept things without being critical. Mm. So they will use... Um, Beautiful images, amazing sounds, wonderful lights, uh, um, sexual ideas to, to just cut off the critical side of us so that we just accept what they say a whole lot more because they do a whole lot of study to find out how they can get mm. past our cricket, critical faculties, mm. right? In fact, the best psychologists in the world are actually marketing psychologists. Mm. Yeah, They know because mm. there's much more money involved, all right? Mm -hmm. But we won't get into that one, okay? Next time. <laughs> and, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Next time. But I do want to tell people how important it is to keep young children away from um, all screen technology, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, the World Health Organization tells us that no, no baby under the age of one should be exposed to mm -hmm. screen technology mm -hmm. at all. Totally. And then yeah. up until the age of five, they say less than an hour, please. Yeah. yeah. And it's always the less, the better. Yeah. Uh, but as you know, as a mother, it's very difficult to do. It's very difficult. Mm. And it gets uh, more and still. more difficult. Yes, it does. It does. Okay. So, so just a few tips that, that are going to help. Yes. Great. Uh, number one is, is a technology free day. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. So Saturday or Sunday to say the whole family does not have technology. We, we turn things off. We don't look at screens. We have fun by going to a forest, a waterfall, a mountain, whatever. Uh, right. Even going to a film once a week, all right, takes a good three hours of wonderful entertainment when you're not being manipulated on the screen. Right. Wonderful stuff, okay? Right. But greenery in nature is always better. Board games, please play board games, mm -hmm. cards, Scrabble, Monopoly, Carcassonne, whatever people like to play, play the board games. Okay. So the so second thing is meal times. Meal times, everything gets switched off. And um, uh, if something comes through, you just don't answer the phone. Mm. Uh, you just pretend that you're at a restaurant and you didn't hear it. Mm. And then people can get back to it in a limited way. And the third thing is any parties that you have or when people come over to visit, you have your... Um, uh, your screen box, your handy box, your cell phone box at the front of the house. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, could you just put your um, cell phone in here, please? Mm. But why should I want to do that? Because we love you. We want to talk to you. Mm. We, we want, want to be with jokes. you. Mm. We want to be with you. That's right. Not the phone. <laughs> that's right. Not the phone. Because there will be something comes in or people go, oh, look at this. And before you know it, everybody's looking at a screen because they are so engaging. Mm. So if you can do that, that would really, really help. Wow. Wonderful tips. I will totally adopt them. <laughs> Thank you so it, much. It's still, it's still hard to do, Ruth. Okay. Yeah, but, I know. Still, I know. They work. They work when you do it. Okay. Yeah, but, but I love yeah. it. That's so, so helpful. 
And I actually have a very personal question as well. So how does it influence someone when they live with, with a person who is actually suffering from a mental health condition, let's say depression and anxiety, because that can yeah. also be together combined. Yeah. So yeah. how does that influence the person living with this person who is suffering with the condition? And do you have any tips? Um, yeah, what can be yeah. done here to um, to have a happy, healthy life together? Still? Yes, yes. Okay. So first thing, uh, just exactly as you said, we know that depression can lead to anxiety, mm. and we know that anxiety can lead to depression. Mm. And so they, they can feed off each other. So that, that's very real. So it's it's very difficult when you are living with somebody who has a mental illness not because of the mental illness, but it's hard for the brain to separate the person and the illness. Yeah. So if you've ever had somebody in your household break an arm and they come home with a, their arm in a sling and a cast, everybody goes, oh, isn't that terrible? Look at yeah. that. But you can see what's wrong. Yeah. Okay. And you can see that it's going to get better because at some stage the cast gets off. Then yeah. people say, how is your arm? Oh, it's getting better. And then there will come the time that people will forget that they broke their arm because they're back into life. Yeah. Okay. And that happens with a, an infection as well. People lie down in bed and they, they can't move for a couple of days, but then they get over it. Yeah. Now, the thing is with mental illness, while they're actively ill, so while they're depressed and they are anxious, they are talking to you. And so you think they should be able to talk to me just like, when they are well, okay? Yeah. So it is hard to say that yeah. there's a difference here. So the technique is to separate the person from the illness. So sometimes to say, was that the depression talking? Mm -hmm. And then people can say, yes, that's the depression talking. Okay, that's how I'm feeling at the moment, but that's not how I want to feel. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Because somebody with depression does not want to be depressed. Mm -hmm. Someone yeah. with anxiety does not want to have anxiety. Yeah. And sometimes even for themselves, I get them to separate it. Mm -hmm. Sort of tell right. me when it's the depression talking, tell me when it's you talking, mm -hmm. tell me what you want. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's hard to separate. And if you're the person, Uh, who is around somebody with depression to ask the question, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because you mm -hmm. enter another world as soon as you say, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Oh, I want this COVID thing to go away. I want us to go to Spain again. I want to feel happy again. All right. Mm -hmm. I want to enjoy going out for a walk with you. Mm -hmm. And just for that moment, when you hear that, you go, yep, that's the person that I'm with. That's the real person. Mm. right because when you say how are you feeling well i'm feeling pretty lousy today mm. well not as lousy as i did yesterday or the day before <laughs> but i'm still lousy but mm. i am better than yesterday mm. and you don't feel good about that you mm. know mm. whereas if you actually ask the question how do you want to feel how do i want to feel mm. do you remember last year when we went away just for that weekend do you remember how i felt then That's how I want to feel. Mm, okay. Mm. Yeah. And it makes it easier. All right. You still have to deal with the mental illness. You still have to do all that you can. Mm. Powerful. And the other question. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the other question is what would help right now? How can I help you right now? Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes the mental illness gets to be such a problem that you just don't want to talk about it anymore. Mm. You know, yeah. it's just too much, you know? And so, but you just want to make sure that you're not avoiding it. You're doing the best for that particular moment. Mm. Wow. Wow. So, you're so full of wisdom. Of I really, oh. no, I really appreciate Well, obviously you've got a lot of practice and you are in it with all of your heart. I, I, you yeah. can really feel that. And yeah. um, that that's just amazing. I find this so helpful. And also The other day when we spoke, you gave um, me the tip that, you know, <laughs> when you deal with someone, or deal is maybe not the nicest word, but when you're together with someone who is mentally not so well, yeah. that you have to consider that there are three people in the room. That's right. And That's right. this is so very visual for me. This is such a, yeah, such a helpful tip to, to remember and to 
yeah, it just changes everything. So I just love your very practical, very loving tips. Thank you so much for that. That's all right, Ruth. And I'm going to take it one step further, okay? Mm. Because uh, what some people do is actually give their illness a name. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, so David depression. Okay. All right. Or, uh, or Annabelle anxiety or mm -hmm. whatever people mm -hmm. come up with, mm -hmm. or some people will personify it. So you get, you get a rag, mm -hmm. right? Uh, a, a dark colored, dirty rag, right? Mm -hmm. So that at the dinner table, you've got the rag on another chair, just a bit away from the table. Mm -hmm. And when let's say you who doesn't have the depression mm -hmm. is angry with the depression, mm -hmm. you can actually shout at the rag. All right. Mm -hmm. You can actually tell the rag, I hate you. I wish you weren't here. All right. Because sometimes you feel like doing that to the person, but mm -hmm. you know that if you do that to the person, that's not going to help. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you start letting your anger out at a rag, then the person can join you. You know what? I don't like the depression either. I want to tell it to go and do this. All right. right. And before you know it, you're laughing because you're doing something absolutely ridiculous, but it is very, very helpful. I love it. And Absolutely. That way, that way you feel that you are still a team because that's what's more important, still being a team, even if it's against something yeah. as heinous as a mental illness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Um, I think I have to go now and get a rag. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that'll be good. That'll be good. Look, just, no, but... be, just before I, I leave it, uh, Ruth, I want to go back to COVID yeah. because we talked about how there was uh, a whole lot more depression yeah. and anxiety during COVID. And that's true. But the same study showed that the next year of COVID, the depression and anxiety rates came down okay. to the levels that they were before COVID. Oh, wow. And that's very interesting. Yeah, right? and I interesting. just want to talk about that for a little bit because yeah, this please. is where the hope is. Okay, the hope is that we human beings are resilient. Mm. Yeah. Now, what that means is that we can bounce back from adversity. Yeah. Uh, now, if we all think about when COVID first hit, uh, quite frankly, we all feared for our lives. And, and a lot of people have actually died. This yeah. is a horrible, horrible pandemic. Yeah. But after you've been living with it for a year and we had some lockdowns, we had some dreadful things, but we found a way to adapt. And this is what our brain does. It sort of says, okay, how am I going to negotiate what's happening now? And we've been doing some study on relationships during COVID. And some people have broken up. Some people have had a difficult time through COVID. Yeah. But other people have been telling us, no, we've actually been having a great time during COVID. Mm -hmm. The kids have been home from school. We've been playing games. Uh, my partner and I have gotten to know each other a whole lot more because we're spending more time together. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say it, but COVID's actually been great for the family. There are some families that actually build, uh, that have that. Mm. So, so the, the message that I want is the hope is in our resilience as human beings. Mm. We can adapt, we can change, we can find a way through. Now, the bad news is that COVID's still going on, all right? So this year, depression, anxiety rates are starting to go up again because it's like we sort of go, okay, I can be resilient for a year, but are you but kidding now me? It's enough. That's now it's enough. That's now it's enough. I can relate to that. That's exactly right. So all the emotions that you're feeling are being felt around the world. Mm. And we're picking that up in our studies. But the hope is that we can be resilient. We can find a way forward. Mm, wow. And somehow we are back to what you said um, when we first started this interview, you know, that you work with each individual and they are also yeah. different, but yet we are all the same. You know, this yes. is this yes. is the same thing somehow, which is, yeah, wow, very beautiful. Mm, I'm very conscious of your time. There are so many things I still would have loved to ask you because I just, oh, I think you are absolutely amazing. But maybe we can schedule another interview another time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, yes, we can do that. And um, I would like to ask you if, if you would give my listeners three gold nuggets that they can take home with them and that will help them to, yeah, feel better, to uncover 
a better version of themselves which yeah. three gold nuggets would you give them okay so i'm, I'm just going to give you the three that just came to mind right yeah. so the first one uh comes from a greek philosopher from 2000 years ago uh that basically said that all of life falls into two categories mm. either things that you can change mm. or things that you can accept mm. and uh this is very difficult by the way because i worry a whole lot about things that i can't change mm. that i just have to <laughs> so i am still working on this all right mm. <laughs> but particularly in COVID times if you can ask yourself what can i change and do that, spend all your uh, energy doing that, you will feel better about yourself. And what do I have to accept? And then that's actually the more difficult one. Mm -hmm. And that actually then becomes uh, what's called the serenity prayer, which was put together in the 1930s by somebody called Reinhold Niebuhr, mm -hmm. who uh, said, uh, give me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, mm -hmm. the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So powerful and beautiful. And, yeah. and that, that day is very powerful. And every day, mm -hmm. uh, if we can do something like that, then our quality of life and our effort, because we all put a lot of effort into life, yeah. our effort will at least go into the right direction. Mm, love it. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Okay. So nugget number two mm -hmm. is going to be, um, uh, your relationships are your greatest assets. Mm. And, and I use an economic term to talk about it because we get lured away by uh, jobs, money, experiences, but a lot of people will forsake the people that they love to get those things because they're more immediate. Mm. But the people who realize, no, it's the people in my life that are more important. Mm. They're the ones that actually have the gold because as we're finding in our research, uh, people that even face adversity together. Let's say you go through mental illness with somebody for years and years, even decades. Mm. There is something in the human spirit that finds meaning and purpose in that and says, yes, that was worthwhile. And mm. it's very difficult to describe. Whereas if you walk away from the relationship and you get the money, the money doesn't take you terribly far, not, mm. not inside. It doesn't make for a deeper existence. Mm. True. And and yeah yeah and so I've 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 got to say that I've actually just uh, released today a uh, a small video. This is on YouTube, talking about how to save your life through people. It is the connections with people that can save us from our own despair. Mm, beautiful. So, Mm. And yeah. I will put all the links in the show notes where people can find you and where they can find your wonderful YouTube videos and all of oh, that. Oh, thank you. Of course. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and look, the, the third one is uh, just one that has recently become a passion of mine, and that is to limit screen technology in your life. Mm. Yeah. Because never before in the history of all of humankind have we had a tool, a very useful tool, one that's allowed mm. us to do amazing things, including what we're doing right now, Ruth. Yeah, right? I know. Uh, that's right. That's right. So it is totally amazing. But never has the human brain been so fixated on something that is so close. And it means that our perspective of life is actually shrinking. Mm. And as I say in my other video, there, there are studies to show that people who use screens, technology for eight, 10 hours a day, the part of their brain that is used for empathy with other people is actually shrinking. Mm. Now that's, that's frightening. That's absolutely it's frightening. frightening yeah. means, yes, it is because it means that they'll get on with other people less. Mm. And that means that they will have less of the brain area to get on with other people, to relearn how to get on with other people. Mm. So uh, and yes, also probably to get on with, with themselves. Yes. Yes. Yes, because we are not just thinking people, we are thinking and feeling mm. beings. Absolutely. And our feelings are very important. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I just realized that I absolutely wanted to quickly mention your amazing book, The Seven Love Types, I believe it's the called. Seven, yes, yes. I, I know we're running out of time, but can you 
quickly say something about this so that my audience also has the possibility to learn about your book and I'm sure that would love to order your book if that is possible from from Europe yeah yeah so so I have a website drchristianheim.com yeah. and you can order things there or you can order it through Amazon and there are also podcasts that you can get through wherever you get your podcasts, you know, um, Spotify, yeah. what, what, whatever else. Okay. But, but that book, the seven love types, and look, we spoke about how love is a word that, that people almost don't like anymore yeah. for a number of reasons, because one, people have been very hurt by it. Yeah. And secondly, the word love has been used so commercially yeah. that we're feeling almost conned and manipulated mm. okay. which is a right. shame because i'm a total love yes. person i love that's love. Right. <laughs> that's right that's right and so am i you know mm. um uh, right so so my my partner and i have just been out for a long walk okay mm. and we just we just walk through the streets hand in hand and mm. it's just beautiful mm. but then a dog comes up to us and starts licking us and that's another type of love and it just mm. makes you feel good and uh so so what I've done in this book is talk about different types of love. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, we use one word for at least seven or 10 different meanings. And they're very important to know the difference because we get lost in this word love. It's almost like we stop thinking when we hear this word mm -hmm. because it's a feeling state. But if we had all these different words, so we're talking about liking love because I like that particular dog mm. or romantic love because that's mm. the love that I share with my partner mm. or mentoring love which is the kind of love that I share with mm. somebody that I'm guiding through let's say uh, learning the piano or things like that mm. or uh, liking love uh, sorry friendship love which is mm. another very special love and then there's a love that families have mm. uh, and then there's love of strangers and there are a few other different types of love and so that's basically what the book talks about but also as a psychiatrist i've got to be practical so i give a lot of tips and spend a lot of time as to how you can have these loves working in your life without getting them mixed up mm, beautiful so helpful and i believe that this book in itself is a very powerful tool to help us feel better and live better more empowered more loving lives so thank you very much for that well thank you ruth do you actually, um, are, are you, do you have the ability to treat people online or do you only treat people through your practice and in, in your practice? Okay, so, so I do both. I do okay. treat people online. Um, I'm, I'm not very fond of treating people online because uh, mm. there's a lot it's of different. feelings that are missing. Do, do you do any online work, Ruth? I do. And unfortunately, at the moment, more than ever, because since we have moved from Australia, you know, it's, it's very yeah. different here for me. So I couldn't really start my practice here again. So I do mostly online and the same. It's so, so different. It's not the same. There's so much missing. Right. Um, I totally get it. Yeah. That's right. So, so what I do is the people that I see online are people that I already know very well mm. uh, because I, I already know enough to fill in the blanks and the feelings that I'm not quite picking up on because mm. of the technology. So I find that that, that, that works. Um, but uh, I, I really feel that particularly when I'm doing psychotherapy, it's not enough just to have information in words. Mm. You have to be there with the person feeling all that they are feeling. And, and sometimes we will go through silences that are very, very long and mm. they're very meaningful silences. Mm. And that doesn't happen online. Mm. Yeah. Um, totally. Wow. Oh, I have loved this conversation so much. I can't thank you enough for the work that you do. I am such a huge fan. I'm so grateful to you. Yeah, honestly, thank you for your thank time. Thank you so much for saying all of that. That's that's wonderful. And look, I'd, I'd love to do this again. So if whenever you want to have another one for your listeners, you know. Thank you and, very much. Um, that's all right. That's right. Anytime. Okay. Take care. And we speak soon. Take care. Much all love. All the best, Ruth. You Bye too. Bye-bye. Bye. 
I know I didn't promise you too much. He is amazing. <laughs> and please make sure you check out everything about him in the show notes. And also, if you want to know more about him or read more about him, order his book, The Seven Love Types. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please support me on my mission to make our planet a healthier, happier place, one person, one podcast at a time. And you can do so by liking, by reviewing and by sharing my podcast. I know that you were born to live your best life. And to feel absolutely amazing in your precious body, brilliant mind and beautiful soul. So please make sure you do. What are you waiting for? I believe in you. I'm your biggest cheerleader. Keep glowing. Much love. If you would like to book your personal 30-minute free discovery session with me for more empowerment, guidance and support, then please find the link for this in my show notes.